You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What is up, good people? Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast. Yeah, we're here. We're knocking on the door of episode 400. Episode 400. That's wild. And there's way more over on Patreon, too. That is crazy. And I didn't just say that just to plug Patreon. I was just kind of sitting here wondering how in the world I've made a career out of blabbering on the internet. But I guess it's really not that big of a mystery. It is thanks to you. Thank you so much to everybody who has clicked on this. I'm I'm still flabbergasted. That number is, uh, it's it's weird to me. That many episodes, this many years in, it's crazy that this has worked out the way that it has. And it's all thanks to you. So thank you so much. And yeah, 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 I know I say that every week. But seriously, this is crazy. Thank you for enabling me to do this. The fact that you're listening to this right now, that's the reason. So thank you very much. Now, let's get into this week's episode. This week, I'm talking to Justina Kelly and Eddie Gore. They work together doing a lot of different projects together in Nashville, Tennessee. Justina is a pop artist. She comes from a country music family, and she's just very passionate about songwriting, music, artistic stuff, and she's a very, very cool person. So she was really cool to talk to. We started the episode focused on her and her story. And then she brought in Eddie towards the end. And I actually should genuinely get him on by himself at some point because he was a very interesting dude too. But them two together, they're the dream team. They are making some cool stuff. They work on so many projects together. They work with Steve Cropper on like a wide variety of things. And I'm sure you've heard that name before. And if you haven't, the Google machine is your friend. But seriously, I'm just blabbering at this point. Let's get into this episode with Justina and Eddie. I think you're really going to enjoy it. This is a great conversation. Let's just let's just dive in. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar stuff occasionally, sometimes. I'm your host, Blake Weiland. With me today, I have... Justina Kelly, how's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I've been looking forward to this chat. Uh, sorry we had to postpone. I had the Namthrax, so you know, <laughs> so it goes. Nampocalypse. <laughs> yeah, it was it was rough, but uh, yeah, I've been excited to to have this chat. We we met on Instagram, as so many of these things often happen these days, and I just wanted to dive into your story. Like, when did you get started with music? Obviously, it's a massive part of your life. You are an artist on your own, but you also run a studio. I want to get the whole backstory back from when you first started as a kid, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I was I was raised born and raised in Nashville. 
and grew up uh, in the country music scene because my mom is a country music singer and hit songwriter. So um, that was the norm growing up um, was, you know, my mom's an artist. She writes on Music Row. You know, she's we're having jam sessions at the house. We're, you know, going out on tour with her, going backstage at all of her shows. Um, so it was just really natural for me and my sister as well to you know, get into the music industry and, and write and make music. Mm -hmm. So it, did it ever like, I mean, growing up, growing up in Nashville is like a, just a different thing altogether. Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of the people you were associated with, that was totally normal. But at what age did you realize that that wasn't most people's experience? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because um, a lot of the people I went to school with, you know, their parents were songwriters or artists or it was just normal. So they didn't think anything of it. Um, but I guess it was when I started. Maybe it was when I moved to uh, New York City when I was in college and, you know, people didn't really I would tell them where I'm from. I'm from Nashville. And they were like, you know, all they know about Nashville is that it's Music City you know, back, mm -hmm. you know, a couple years ago until recently, people didn't really um, know as much about Nashville, I think. It's just yeah. really in the last 10, 15 years that it's blown up in the public consciousness and, you know, people want to come here and visit. But maybe when I, yeah, when I moved to New York City, it was like, wait, you know, what's country music? What's, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> what? no one knew what, what, you know, who my mom was or a lot of that, a lot of country radio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I, I born and raised here in Oregon, but I've always had a weird connection to Nashville. Uh, this is—I don't know if I've actually told this part of the story before on the podcast, Ooh, but my grandma used to do something called home interiors, and oh. I know that sounds very generic, like she's an interior designer. No, this was a brand <laughs> of like candles and statues and like weird thing, not necessarily weird, but things you would decorate your house with. And she was a representative for this company and she did so well with it. Every year they would go back to Nashville when I was, this is like in the nineties. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and I was always like, that was their, their big, I don't know, like the like headquarters? celebration of, or yeah, I don't know if it was their headquarters <laughs> or if they, I know they like would do stuff at like, uh, the Opryland hotel and like have yep. an event there of some, some sort. So, I always knew she was going back there. And then one year I was probably 11 or so. Maybe I was a little older, uh, somewhere in that ballpark. But we went with them. And so I got to go down on Broadway when it was a lot more old school, you know, oh my went gosh. into Tootsie's as like a little kid and, yes. and like uh, all that stuff. So Nashville has just always been this this thing that has been a part of my life. And now it's like my home away from home. I go there multiple times a year for the string joy stuff. And it's been weird to watch it progress mm -hmm. so quickly and where, you know, like you were talking about, people would be like, what's Nashville. Yeah. Now, now Nashville is like, if you're in music, you're in New York, LA or Nashville, pretty mm -hmm. much. I mean, you know, there, you can do music anywhere in the world, but that's the, the home basis for all this now. And everybody knows it. Yeah, this is not this is the place to be now. And, you know, I lived in New York for a little bit. I lived in L.A. for a little bit as well. And everyone I knew from those places has all moved here now. Right. So all my friends from, you know, from over the years doing music, 
you know, are here in Nashville, which is cool. But what did you think mm. of Nashville back then? Back then it was, uh, to me, I was, you know, I was a little kid. I grew up with country music similarly. Like my parents weren't performers or anything, but that was everything. That's all that was playing in the house. And <laughs> nice. that's what my grandparents listened to. That was my main exposure to music through that time. And my dad's like number one Waylon Jennings fan. So that was always oh. important, you know, growing up and Merle Haggard and things like that. That was like what I totally grew up with. So, you know, like and then he country. was really, yeah, like <laughs> I, I still love all that stuff too. Heck Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but going to Nashville, I, it was like, I didn't know like, Oh, what's Bakersfield. Like, I didn't know I was too young to understand. Mm -hmm. I just thought, Oh, all country music comes from this place. You know? <laughs> this <laughs> mythical land. Yeah. Right? But, but it's kind of weird because, you know, I got started doing the podcast and all of this music gear stuff. And kind of before it was like the two about two years before I was able to get into it full time, my whole family went back there just for a regular vacation. Oh, nice. And, th and that was right before the explosion. So mm -hmm. then just like a year and a half, two years later, it was Bridesmaidville and like all the other things. But it wasn't that yeah. I got to see it kind of like evolve over the years. Um, so, yeah, it's just oh, a different wow. It's different a totally thing. different thing now, but I, I was going to say your dad might be excited to know that here at RCA Studios, uh, Waylon, uh, Waylon Jennings um, recorded here, as mm -hmm. well as um, a bunch of, well, you probably know the history about RCA Studios here, but yeah, yeah. there's pictures of Waylon and Willie Nelson and all those guys well, up and down the halls here. It's fantastic. I, I've mm -hmm. been in Studio B for that tour that they do, and it's one of the coolest experiences for a music fan, I think. Everybody should mm -hmm. go do that if they're in town. It's so cool. So but cool. How did, <clears throat> excuse me. How did you get to be working in the studio? Like, seems like you're there every day, if I'm not mistaken. You're, you kind of run part of it, it seems. Like, what's, mm -hmm. what's the relationship there? How has that happened? Well, that's a cool story. So, um, I, I'll kind of go back again. I um, was, you know, doing the artist thing, uh, putting out music, touring, and it took me to uh, Paris, France, uh, where I lived for five years. Uh, but while I was uh, kind of back and forth going abroad, I um, started working with this guy, Eddie Gore, who was became a really good friend of mine. And we were writing some really cool music for uh, film and TV, stuff like that. And so cool. yeah, it was really, it was like the first thing we ever wrote got on I NCIS and wow. we were like, wait, this works. We work well together. Um, and we started also writing, um, some songs for my artist project, uh, which a lot of those songs are actually on the album, my new album that's on the French label. Um, that's awesome. out right now, actually, uh, in France, but um, so I was working back and forth with Eddie. I was traveling back and forth from Nashville to Paris of all things. And, um, Eddie actually works with this guy named Steve Cropper for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, so they, you know, Eddie's been Steve Cropper's right-hand man and, um, you know, Steve Cropper. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm <laughs> guessing most of the listeners do. If you don't, a quick Google will inform you. Yes. He's, For those of you who don't know. He's one of the dudes. Yes. Yeah. We'll say he wrote Sitting on the Dock of the Bay and many others. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, member of the Blues Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. Massive. Yes. Massive. Yes. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, Eddie um, and Steve were, you know, thick as thieves, worked together for years. Um, and we all decided to uh, join forces. This is about seven years ago when um, Eddie and I launched our production company and uh, we moved into RCA Studios. So cool. And yeah, just wanting to really, uh, yeah, just combine all of our talents. You know, Eddie's a big time, you know, engineer, producer, arranger. You know, I was coming from the artist side, you know, songwriter, musician, singer, all that. Um, Also producer. And uh, well, and, you know, Cropper's resume speaks for himself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we just we moved into the studio and we've been here ever since. How long you been doing that? Well, I started in that space anyway. Oh, yeah. here we've been here for it's it's actually been almost eight years now. Wow, that's I know, incredible. I know, going it's strong, so cool. going strong. Yeah, but it's one of those things where you know when you do something, but you don't realize you're doing it. Like, yes, <laughs> right. Like I was, yes. <laughs> I was, you know, I was, I had Pro Tools, and I was like recording stuff, and then I was starting to play MIDI bass, and then I was you know, farming out the drums from my friends and like, wait, I guess I'm a producer, (laughs) you know, I guess, right. (laughs) I guess this is what this Mm -hmm. is called. So I was a producer, you know, back kind of back almost, almost starting out and I didn't realize it. And then I was like, wait, I actually am a producer and I'm going to own this and, and make a, make a business out of it. Producing is one of those weird things as a kid, obviously, I listened to a lot of music and, you know, laid on the floor with my CD packets open and reading all of the liner notes. And every time I would see producer or hear the word producer, I was like, what? But what is that? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And then as you grow up and you work in this space a little bit longer, you realize the reason it's kind of a blanket term is because it can mean lots of different things yep. depending on the genre, depending on, you know, what what the artist is looking for in a producer. It's one of the Vegas job titles, I think, of all time. But right. what does it mean for you? That is true. Well, for me, gosh, um, I think you're right. I think it just means so many different things. Um, for me, I mean, it's kind of like the director of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're setting up all the shots. You're, you know, you oversee almost every aspect of the creative process. You're casting actors. You know, we cast the musicians. Mm-hmm. We um, we help a lot of times. We help with writing, you know, songwriting. Most times, I would say we help if we're not um, if we're not writing with our artists or with our clients or for our clients. Um, we are kind of rebuilding songs or rearranging them. So um, I would just say it's very creative job, and mm-hmm. that's that's the most fun. Um, but then also, you know, there's the mixing as well. Gosh, there's so much that goes into it. <laughs> it's really custom, you know, customized. It depends on the artist. It depends on the project, you know, what the project needs. You kind of have to be flexible, right? Yeah, totally. I think so. Do you have a favorite part of the process as far as production goes? It's like, oh, I really mm-hmm. like programming drums or I really like, <laughs> you know, mixing or whatever the whatever part you're talking about. Is there any portion of that that excites you? Oh, yeah. Well, I can say that 
the mixing is not my favorite part. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's the part that is very tedious. Um, There are parts of it that can be fun, but I would say my favorite part is I love when the band is in. So this is our tracking room. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you can see there's a drum kit back here. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got a bunch of the guitars sitting out. I might show that those to you in a little bit, but yeah, I think when the band's here and the energy is here and you don't really know what's going to happen. You know, you have an idea in your head, you have references or you have, um, you have parts in your head, but you're really guiding this creative process. And if you've got really great, talented people, you know, in the room, real magic can truly happen. Totally. Uh There's something about, you know, everybody jamming together and we've all experienced it at some point or another where everything just clicks Uh and the vibes, right. And everybody's (laughs) on the same wavelength and everything is going right. And there's nothing like that feeling. I think that's what we all look for for every time we try to create. And it doesn't always happen, but Mm. If it happened every time, it wouldn't be as special when it does. That's so true. Yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, if you like, I think that's part of um, developing as an artist, too, as you start to know more what you like or mm-hmm. you start to know the people that you create the best with or where the good vibes are flowing. And you can I think you can optimize the creative process and the creative experience that way. hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. Going going back <clears throat> going back a little bit to the childhood days, mm-hmm. we we kind of d- jumped right from that to modern times. But let's go back a little bit. What was the first instrument that you picked up? My guitar. Ah, convenient. Yes, very convenient. <laughs> well, actually, it was my mom's guitar, her Martin. Yeah. Oh, that's a good. That's quite a starter. Right. I know that was my starter <laughs> guitar. Can you believe it? That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So you started picking that up. Did you you just felt a pull to it? Were you like, I want to play guitar or it just happened to be around. So that's that's what was there. What was what was that like for you? I think it was the the second. It was just um, I felt it was there. And I was like, well, my mom was such a great writer and singer. So I was such a big fan of my mom's. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking back in the day, um, you know, I really want to be like my mom. I really want to be a great songwriter, especially. Um, but she set the bar so high that for, <laughs> for a long time, I wasn't sure if I could do it, actually. Mm-hmm. And it was something that it took a while for me to discover and to get really comfortable with because my sister's a really great songwriter, too. Um, and she just had real natural ability kind of from the start. Um, but I really, it took me a while to give myself permission to go further with it. Cause then I really got into acting as well. So I was doing a lot of, um, theater and I was doing, I ended up doing film and commercials and stuff when I was a kid. Um, but my, my desire, my true passion was always with the music. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the songwriting. It's weird how we, we do that. And even if we have all the encouragement in the world sometimes the the giving yourself permission to do things Uh i even it even took me until like 
the last maybe 10 years to like fully give myself permission to do mm. whatever I want to do musically. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of viewed as like, oh, I'm just messing around. I'm just playing. I'm not really a real insert whatever thing here. And then I realized that's kind of dumb. And I would never think that about somebody else. Right. If I saw somebody else messing around and recording and writing and stretching their wings, you know, and trying to figure out their place in this musical landscape, I wouldn't be like, well, they're not a real guitar player. Mm-mm. So I, I had took me a while to apply that same logic to myself. And I, I think a lot of people struggle with that. I don't I don't know what that's about, but I think you're whoever's right. listening to this can, you know, give themselves permission to do whatever they're wanting to do. I think so, Blake. I, I I think it's a universal thing. And I think, you know, sometimes we have this little voice in our heads or maybe this little tendency to maybe want to sabotage something or just not fully put ourselves out there because you really have to put yourself out there. And that's not yeah. easy to do. Um, and sometimes it can be, yeah, just easier to kind of sit back because that's what you can control, right? You can control not doing anything, but you can't control what happens once you put something out there. And that's the scary part, I think. Mm -hmm. So I think just getting comfortable with that, with that unknowing, right? The unknown. Well, and the more you put it out there, whatever that happens to be, the more comfortable you get with doing it. I used to like never when I even when I started this podcast, I was never on camera. I did not like being on camera. And now it's like not a big deal. You're natural. Oh, (laughs) thank you. It very much didn't feel natural at the time. But now it's just this part of the job. This is what Mm -hmm. you do. You turn the camera on, you do your thing. But I I think it's important to reiterate. You never get to like experience new things by not putting stuff out there i had all the reason in the world to not want to put this show out and not do this but but when i finally did and took the leap it completely changed my life mm-hmm. and that may be a little different for whoever is listening to this but you're you're not going to be in a worse position by putting your music out for people to hear it like Mm-mm. at best you'll be neutral or at worst, exactly. you'll be neutral, rather. You know? And exactly. on the, the high side, who knows what could happen? Mm-hmm. And you know what we say as producers? Um, like, when we're talking to artists and, you know, we're just trying to talk them through the process. I mean, there's an audience for whatever you have to say or do. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's our jobs as producers or you know, it's your job as an artist, my job as an artist to put it out there and to find my audience because it's out there. You know, it might be, you know, it might be 10,000 people. It might be 10 million people. You just don't know until you put it out there. Mm -hmm. So that's the first step. That's the most important. A hundred percent. And it's never been easier. Now it's Mm -hmm. never been more crowded, but this gets into a topic that I've kind of, I don't know if rant is the right word, but discussed Go for it. Uh, on, on this uh, show quite a bit. Hi, I'm Vincent, and I'm here to talk about the Maris Mercury X. My dad's always going on and on about how cool Maris is. He really went off on one about the Mercury X the other day. He said something about a 4,800 hertz sample rate. And 99 preset locations and 33 banks? 
and something along the lines of the most advanced reverb pedal ever devised by man? That's all true, but I only care about one thing. This pedal sounds sick. So make sure you check out the Mercury X and all the other fine products at maris.us, as well as fine retailers worldwide. All right, Dad, now can I have my talkie? How exactly do artists get their music on Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all these services? How in the world do you get your music there? Well, in the past, you had to use something called a record label. But these days, you can use DistroKid. DistroKid is the absolute easiest way to get your music up on streaming services. And it's the most affordable way to do so. Not only do plans start at $22.99 for the entire year, that's less than two bucks a month, DistroKid also does not take a cut of your streaming revenue, unlike some other services out there. Even better if you sign up by going to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. That's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. One more time, that's ToneMob.com slash DistroKid. You'll get 30% off. That's right, 30% off. They're already extremely reasonable prices. So go to ToneMob.com slash DistroKid and get your music out there. We are brought to you today by Sweetwater, specifically the Gear Exchange. You may have heard about this. This is a place where you can go to buy and sell your used gear. Maybe you got a pedal over there that's just kind of collecting dust. Maybe there's something you've been eyeing from the Sweetwater catalog. Well, right now is a great time to turn that unused gear into something you're actually going to use. Even better, if you sell on the Gear Exchange, you can keep 100% of the sale as long as you choose a Sweetwater gift card as your payout method. That is not too shabby, because let's be honest, most of this buying and selling we do is just to fund new gear purchases, and that is a great way to reach a wide variety of customers and keep 100% in your pocket, or rather, on your pedal board. So go check out the Sweetwater Gear Exchange and turn that unused gear into something that's actually going to help you write that next huge riff. It's infinitely easier, even though it's more crowded, to get your music or your art seen and heard now Mm -hmm. than it ever has been. You know, if you go back, people are like, oh, only a certain small percentage of artists really make it. Well, uh, I mean, only a certain small percentage of artists have ever made it, ever. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't easier from the time, you know, rock and roll started to now, it wasn't easier in the 70s. You mm-hmm. had to go out and grind and play every single show you could possibly find. And the odds that people would never have hear of you again were extremely high. And now you can reach infinitely more people from a, from places you never would have ever even been able to reach just by continuing to put stuff out there on the, the interwebs. And you never know what that might what that might take you know, what that might form into. So while it's crowded, it's actually never been easier in, in my opinion. Some people push back on that. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. I agree with you that, I mean, it is a little saturated, you know, the market, there's so much music going out there, but like I said, I mean, if you have something to say, um, I mean, we're all, 
you know, we're all creative beings. We're all searching for connection. Um, we all need creative outlets. Um, you just got to put it out there. That's that's mm -hmm. just what I always believe. I truly believe that. Yeah. Just find a way to to reach people. Hundred percent. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna go backwards a little bit again, going yeah. back to the the Martin. So you grew up in the country music scene. And now I see you've got, you know, electric guitars around you and everything. You eventually, this record. My Taylor. Oh, you got there. Yeah, and the Taylor. Oh, I couldn't. It was a little bit out of uh, frame for me on this yes. platform we're using. Got it. Um, but you eventually got into, like, your newest record is a pop record. Mm -hmm. But you grew up in the country music scene. And I know those two genres are actually more related than maybe country fans want to admit. Right. <laughs> yes. But uh, what made you go that direction versus sticking with the family tradition so to speak ah well oh so country to be honest country will always be in my bones i guess because this is the world i grew literally. up in literally yeah. yes mm -hmm. um i owe so much of my songwriting sensibilities and um instincts to country songwriting which i mean Let's be honest, some of the best written songs are country songs. 100%. The best storytelling. Yeah. Um, so I was so lucky that I really got that heritage um, and that desire for storytelling um, and, you know, the structure of a song and all that. Um, so that's always going to be with me. And I'll always love country music and bluegrass music. Mm -hmm. But I always had this little thing inside me that was more maybe like an international flair or um, a desire to see the world. And um, I love world music. Um, I have, I love jazz. You know, I love like Brazilian music. I love singing mm -hmm. in Portuguese and French and all these different languages. And um, I don't know where that came from. But... Um, I think my passion about doing my own music, because I've written for so many different people and so many different projects and along the way, but for my own music, I love to mix that organic kind of rootsy side of me with something a little bit more international or cosmopolitan or, you know, something mm -hmm. a little bit more modern and you know, something with some cool tracks and a cool beat. So I love yeah. mixing those two, those two elements, basically. It's probably a good segue to get getting to my question about like going to Paris. How did, how did you end up deciding that France was the place? I mean, it's kind of funny living in music city your whole life, but getting your, you know, I'm I'm thinking your first singles on French radio mm -hmm. versus American. How did how did that whole process happen? I know obviously you lived over there for a while, but what pulled you over there, and then how did that unfold? I wonder if this is something that others can relate to as well. But I, when you're from somewhere, sometimes you just want to leave. You just want to get out, right? <laughs> like if it's too close or it's too familiar. You know, you maybe take it for granted. Um, you want to, you know, you want to explore other places. And that was 
that was my story for sure. I, you know, growing mm-hmm. up in Nashville and, th- and this is, you know, 20 years ago, there was not much, there was not much going on in, you know, there was not really an international scene. There wasn't really a world music scene. There wasn't a lot going on for, I guess, like a young girl. And I mm-hmm. always thought, gosh, I want to, you know, I want to see New York. I want to see LA. I want to live in France. I want to live in all these other places. And that's, I think that's how I, you know, thought I, I kind of want to get out of Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy to say, I mean, but I was always coming back. I mean, even when I lived in LA for, uh, I lived in LA for four years, I was always coming back here. I mean, this is where all the greatest songwriters live. This is where all the greatest guitar players live. And even if, even if it wasn't known for that, um, internationally until recently, I mean, that's just, that's how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very it, true. And and you know what? It I think it takes also living somewhere else to to appreciate where you're from. Yes, I think so. I I've had that more in recent times where I've lived here my whole life, mm-hmm. and I've I've definitely traveled. I've definitely been to other places, but it wasn't until I started having friends that were like on tour or something which is all came from the podcast, you know, they'd come through town and be like, Hey, let's go get something to eat. Oh, I know this great place in this random, you know, other town. Let's, let's go. And we'd be driving through places that I drove through my entire life. And they're all looking around like, it is beautiful here. It is gorgeous. And I'm like, it is actually, but to me, because it was just where I grew up, it's like, it's it's trees and stuff like like what again (laughs) but you know going back east and going to other places going you know done a little bit in europe and it's like oh actually i I totally took this place for granted in a lot of ways in especially as a kid Mm -hmm. i was like ah it's oregon whatever (laughs) right oh my gosh (laughs) and then here's me i've never been to oregon and i'm dying Mm -hmm. to go well it's I got some places to show you. It's oh my gosh! Cool. I need your you yeah. know top top ten. Oh, I've got it's going to be all food. Um, oh, perfect so, foodie. Yes. Oh, it. Why that's why I love Nashville so much. I gotta oh, go. Yeah. Oh, I haven't had the hot chicken. Have you had the hot chicken? Oh, I ha- oh I have. Oh yeah. Uh, Prince's is my preferred hot chicken place. Oh, there. interesting. Uh, I love I love Prince's. It's. It's the OG. Um, yeah. I, did you ever go to it when it was in its old spot? Where it, it's now in a new, like nicer, better location. But oh. um, a car, a car drove through the old one. Oh, what? So, yeah, I, nobody was hurt from what I gather, but a car literally like drove through the building where they used to be. Oh my, I didn't, so I didn't hear this news. Yeah. Well, oh it's gosh. weird because I'm so obsessed with it. We got an Airbnb that was like close to it. Oh, the nice. few times that we'd go. And I was like, all right, we're going to get more hot chick. Why is this danger tape? all over? What happened? To oh, right. Princess? Like the, yeah. like the crime scene tape. <gasps> yep. Exactly. Holy cannoli. A car, yeah. A car drove through it. So, um, but yeah, if you haven't been to Prince's, I, I highly recommend it. It's very good. Yeah, Hattie B's is good too, but Prince's is the original. Right, so. I've been to the new spot, um, and I've been to Hattie mm-hmm. B's as well. But there's always a line. Mm-hmm. Did you have you seen that? I mean, there's just a line down the block because it's right up yes. here. It's right on, you know, right off of Music Row. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nuts. It's very good. It is very it's good. Very good. People love yeah. their hot chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's 
Good yes. stuff. So let's uh let's talk about some of the guitars that you've surrounded yourself with. What's uh oh, yeah. what's your go-to? What do you grab well, first typically? My go-to is definitely my my I call her my baby Taylor. Her name's Rosalind. Um, <laughs> nice. So oh, she's beautiful. made of Indian rosewood. So um, back back and sides. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. So mm-hmm. beautiful. So you know, I had to call her Rosie. So it's Rosie for short. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. So this is Rosie, my GC8. Um, I always loved this um, slotted headstock. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because obviously this is usually just with the um, the classical guitars, mm-hmm. the gut string, but um, she's a steel string and it just, I feel like it makes the resonance maybe a little bit more open. I could just be, this could be in my head, but I just think... That does sound nice. So when I first saw her, okay, here's a story. I used to work at Guitar Center. Didn't we okay. all? <laughs> <laughs> so many of us. At some point, I think it's so many people. So right? Many people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe like 75% of us. But um, I used to work in Guitar Center in college, and I would always go into the acoustic room, of course. And I saw, because this is, she's my, not my first guitar. I did, my first guitar was a Mahogany Martin. Awesome. Yes. Very beautiful as well. Her name's Gypsy. She's at home. But uh, when I was working at Guitar Center one day, I saw Rosie. And mm-hmm. I I went in. I mean, just every day I would go in and I would start playing her. I would always go right to her. And I started getting all these song ideas. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a sign. Mm-hmm. You know, because I was just getting so inspired. I was like, I've got to have this guitar. I can't stop writing songs. I can't stop the the flow of inspiration. Mm-hmm. And that's how I, and of course I was working at Guitar Center. So I got the good, you know, the employee discount. Employee discount. Heck yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to you got to get that. You got to get that. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it's so funny because, you know, my mom says um, every guitar has a certain amount of songs in it. Hmm. I think that's kind of that a cool reminds philosophy. me of a story. I don't. I. I don't know if it's true, but the first time I heard it was on this podcast, and it was uh, Frank from My Chemical Romance. Actually, is the one who told me oh. the story. So he he was saying I again. He didn't know if it was true, but it's still a great story. That Tom Waits would was coming into this guitar shop like every day for a little while, and he'd go up to this one guitar and he'd like hold it and look at it and play it and put it back. He'd come in and he'd hold it and look at it. And the employees didn't want to bother him, you know, even though it's like, oh, it's Tom Waits. Whoa, like, cool. But yeah. they just left him alone. And then, you know, after several days of him coming in, like looking at this one guitar, somebody came up to him and was like, hey, we've noticed that you check this out every single day. Would you, I mean, do you want to take it home? Maybe we can make you a deal or whatever. And he's like, nah, this one doesn't have any more songs in it. And then he just never came back. <laughs> I just got chills. I was not yeah. expecting that. I wasn't either. He was yeah, coming in nope. and writing songs on this guitar. Yeah, possibly so. At least getting ideas. Or getting some ideas. Sure. Hmm. Yeah. But he's like, ah, this one doesn't have any more songs in it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I've got to tell my mom that. She's going to freak. Because yeah. she actually, it's... she loves Tom Waits too. I, I, I love me some Tom Waits. I've been... I've been on some binges for sure. He's he's incredible. He's written so many songs that I didn't 
realize he wrote. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those people. He's one of those people. And it mm-hmm. just, it makes me so angry in a good way. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, this I guy, know, like, share some talent, uh, dude. Come yeah, on. Dude, I could use some of that. Just right? give me 1%. 1%. Just give me 1%. Just spread it sure. around a little bit. <laughs> he wrote this song. Did you ever hear the Alison Krauss, Robert Plant album? I did, yes. Yeah, the Americana did he write, one. he write one of those songs? Which, he wrote song? my favorite song on the album, and I was just obsessing over the song, the trampled rose. It go, it goes from yeah. four four into five four. It's crazy. It's got this crazy um, meter that mm-hmm. doesn't make sense, but it's perfect for the song. And lo and behold, freaking Tom Waits wrote it. I did not know that. I've listened to that album several times. I had no idea. I know the song you're talking about. Yes. So, uh, I'll be doing a little bit of re-listening later. That's right. Thank you for that information. Go back into the archives and check that one out Mm -hmm. because, yeah, that's a fave. Nice. So now that you got your guitar in your hand there, maybe now's a good time to like dive into your personal. We've talked about how you work with artists and how you do some of that stuff. But when you sit down to write for yourself, do you sit down with intention or do you let the ideas come to you? Or what does your personal writing process look like? This is an interesting question and one that I get a lot. Um, And I wish I could put it in a bottle. Um, But it's another one of those things where it's different every time. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I'm going into a co-write, I love to co-write. That's the Nashville way. You know, that's that's how I cut my teeth on songwriting is... um, you know, the Nashville co-write, you know, you meet at 10, break for lunch, you know, go until five. But um, when I go into a co-write, I do like to feel like I'm prepared. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've got a great idea or several great ideas. Um, I I started about 10 years ago, I would say, I started writing from titles. And I hadn't really done that, I guess, in, you know, when I was really starting out as a songwriter and kind of reverse engineering a song. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've really tried to keep titles in mind. I can be really methodical when it comes to songwriting, as in, especially if there's a whole project or an album or an EP, you know, I want to make sure, you know, all the titles are different and they, you know, they sound different and, you know, none of the songs are in the same key and they're not all in the same tempo and they're not all in the same meter. I get real weird about that and try to really make it make sense uh, in that way, at least for my taste. Um, Mm -hmm. Or when I'm writing for a project for myself or someone else, I'm always like, what's missing? You know, is it an up, are we missing an up tempo? Are we missing, you know, something in three, four? Um, so that sometimes I approach it from a, almost a clinical perspective. Right. And then other times but, ideas fall from the sky into my brain. Mm-hmm. And that's always Which cool, also, right? That, that's an amazing feeling when that happens. When you're like, oh, and then you get, get the demo done and then you listen back. You're like, whoa, where, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Like, exactly. Yeah. I love that feeling. It, it came it's from so awesome. this. Yeah. The clouds or you know, the divine Mm -hmm. source, wherever. But that is such a good feeling. I even had on this album that's out now, uh, I think it's the fourth song on the album, You Don't. I had the whole chorus in a dream. 
What? Really? Yeah. So, I and was, you remembered it? Well, I woke myself up in the middle of the night. This is the only time I've I've really successfully been able to do this. I wonder if anyone else has had song ideas in your dreams. This would be an interesting question. I think the only the only thing I've come up with it was in that in between wake and dreams state. Yep. And it wasn't really a song idea. I was trying to figure out a name for my project. Oh. And I kept and I kept remembering it, but it would be, and then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up. I couldn't remember it, but I knew I had a good idea. I finally remembered to write it down. I like woke myself up and wrote it down and then went back to sleep. That's what and, you got to uh, do. That was, that was the only time I've ever had it, but that's a lot easier than a full chorus. So how do I want to hear this? What, what's the story here? Oh my gosh. I don't even know how it happened. Cause it was, this was maybe like eight years ago that I, um, that I wrote this song, but I just had this, I don't think I had all the lyrics in my, in my dream, but I definitely had the full structure of the chorus and I had the full hook, which is, um, you don't like that. And, Mm -hmm. and then the rest of the song was super easy to write because I really just had this catchy swingy, you know, chorus. And I just Mm -hmm. remember that I had the presence of mind. I don't know how, because when you're in a dead sleep, all you want to do is stay right. asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. 100%, especially me. Oh, um, I'm with you on that one. I'm, I need yeah. my sleep. I'm like seven, eight hours a night, please. I don't have the rock star gene that a lot of other musicians have. I don't have it either. <gasps> I turn into a complete idiot if I don't get enough sleep. I'm oh, just like, same. Zombie. I'm just useless. Yeah. Totally useless. I know it's not the mm-hmm. greatest quality to have as maybe like a musician when I'm supposed to be like playing night gigs, but. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I can get like a second wind or, you know, if especially if I'm performing, it's exciting and, you know, I can, I can power through. Yeah. But yeah. I'm totally. sleeping this night and I somehow was able to, you know, reach for my phone in the dark and record. <laughs> you just like got to voice memos or something yeah, and voice memos. hummed it in there. Voice, wow, memos the voice memo is the, yeah, that is the jam. You gotta, you gotta love the voice memos. You gotta Everybody love the I know that writes songs now uses the voice memo app because you're just out and about, and something might hit you. Oh, and you're not gonna remember it. Never. You're not. You never. think you will, and you you won't. You won't. No, I never so. remember it. As soon as I say something, <laughs> I forget it. So. <laughs> well, I mean, even with these podcasts and scheduling and everything, this is this is how my scattered squirrel brain works. I I get like, okay, we're doing it at what time? putting it in my calendar right now. Yes. Because if I don't put it in there right now, then there's a good chance I'm going to forget. Good even move. if I'm really excited about it, I have to do it immediately. Yeah. And even set if reminders. It's, and, yeah. Even if it's like the coolest event ever, you just won't remember it if it, when the day comes, right? I ha- I had reminders in my phone about Nam, and we planned that trip for six months. I still had to put reminders in my phone. Hey, you got a flight tomorrow, pal. Oh my like, gosh! And I never remember what time yeah. my flights are either. Do you ever do that? You book flights, and then you're like, I don't. It could be six a.m. or it could be ten p.m. I have no idea. I'm very intentional while I'm booking it. Ah. I'm like, yes, I don't want to get up too early, or I don't want to be there if if well, that's possible, smart. obviously. Yeah. So it's usually like, unless there's just no other flights available or it's mm. an emergency or whatever, it's usually at like a normal-ish time. I try to shoot for that. That's ideal. It's also don't want, I don't want to make 
I, I'm fortunate that all my family lives around me and usually somebody can drive me to the airport and I don't want to make anybody get up at four in the morning. That's nice. Yeah. What a thoughtful, also, thoughtful also, guy. I don't want to get up at four in the morning. Either. Oh, I know. Um, Same. <laughs> Same. Sleeping in yeah. or at least sleeping until, you know, a normal time. Mm-hmm. Having a nice slow morning. The nice. I I drink morning tea. I don't know. Are you a coffee guy? Uh, yes and no. I, I, since I've been doing this, I'm able to set my sleep schedule pretty well. So I'm getting enough sleep. I don't typically have coffee when I wake up when I'll have it is sometimes it's like a pre-workout or I'll have it like, oh, I've got that two to 4 PM, like mm, getting kind of tired feeling. That's when I'll have coffee. I very rarely have it in the morning anymore. Yeah. Nice. But because I have it rarely, it works so much better than it used to. I used to drink coffee all day Mm -hmm. and it didn't really do anything. But now a cup will actually wake me up, which is a a nice, a nice change. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You've like figured out Mm -hmm. the hack. (laughs) I never got into coffee. It was an accident. I'm the weird one. Oh, really? I'm just the weird one. You never got into it at all? Never. I can't. I don't like it. It's so funny because my mom has like four cups a day. Barista parlor is like my favorite coffee place that I've ever been to. Wait, and that's your where coffee comes from. I mean, a lot. There's doesn't Starbucks come from Oregon? Starbucks is a is a Washington, but they're Washington. Oh, I'm sorry. I had a blonde moment. I mean, it's the same (laughs) kind of vibe, you know, it really is. But but yeah, we're definitely known for being the coffee area. But I love Barista Parlor. Barista Parlor is incredible. They do a great job down there. Wait, have you been to a place here called Portland Brew? No, I feel what? like okay. I could be totally wrong, but I feel like that's a reference to Portland, Oregon. Probably okay. I'm gonna have yeah. to look this up because I have to know this now. But yeah, yeah, no this kidding. is in Nashville. There's a bunch of them. Portland Brew. Portland Brew. I'm talking to my dude Scott later, and he, you know, he lives down there and is very much a coffee guy. I'm gonna ask him about Portland Brew. See yes, if he knows the story. ask him and then let yes. me know, you know, what what he says. A hundred percent. Yeah. So thought... when it, when you're playing when when you're playing live, we're gonna segue a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, do you typically you play your acoustics? You got a couple electrics around you, and I'm oh, a big yeah. electric player myself. Yes. Um, what's your what's your rig look like when you're like playing out? Well, you know, I have a really simple rig because I, you know, I'm a big time acoustic player, and actually, my first guitar was. Um, I guess I did forget to mention that. My first guitar was an electric guitar that I got. Oh, it was? Yes. Oh. I forgot to mention that. But yeah, my first guitar was an electric guitar. I thought we might also get Eddie in here because he can really tell us a lot about the electrics. Because a lot of these guitars it... are actually Steve Cropper's guitars. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah, where's he at? Yeah, where's Eddie? There he... Oh, wait, can you see him back there? Uh. Oh, wait, let me try to scoot this. I'm not sure. It's. I see the window. There I can't is. see much beyond hey. it. Oh, there he is. <laughs> oh, I see his hand. There he is. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, there he is. Now I can see him. Okay, I, good. I just saw. Here he comes. Yeah, he's coming on in here. Nice. Um, but yeah, it's so interesting. I I really play. You know, I've got I've got my pedal tuner that I love. Um, I don't mm-hmm. have a lot of really fancy effects or anything. We do have this cool pedal board that we keep here at the studio. We can show you guys. Um, for all of our electric players, we have a bunch of guys we love. Here, come on in here, E. Alrighty. Let's scoot this guitar over there. 
And here's your pardon while we just oh, here we go. switch around. No, you're good. You're good. Hey, hey. Hey, hey, what's up, oh, dude? There we go. There we go. Right. Yeah. Hello there. I'd like to introduce you to your new best friend, the Chase Bliss Audio Lossy. Lossy is a collaboration between Chase Bliss and Good Hertz. It's meant to give you some control over those weird digital artifacts that come with every compressed audio. You're getting it right now. All the changes that are taking place are strictly coming from my plane dynamics. I'm just interacting with the pedal and letting it do its thing. And some true stereo goodness. If you'd like some more details about Lossing, I invite you to head over to chaseblitzaudio.com. Gonna like what you find. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist. Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! We just started talking electric guitars, and she's surrounded by them. So she said you would be the person to talk talk about those things. What do we got here? Well, through the years, you know, working with Cropper, it's like we have our, our small studio production company and everything around. I'll turn those things off. The uh, um, and we just kind of get things that can work a whole lot of situations, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the Cropper Fender Tele that we have it's kind of a classic around here, but we also have. Years ago, when I started working with him, PV uh, did when they was doing something called the uh, Northwest All Stars, which was a big kind of a promotional band with literally all these all stars in it, kind of doing some tours. Okay. And Northwest was uh, a promotion uh, company for them, and they did an actual album. And from that, PV got connected with Cropper and uh, said, "Man, we'd love to build you a, your own version of a telly." And that's where mm-hmm. the proper classic came from. Do I have a, that one over here? I have like the original that they designed for him that Cropper still plays today. Oh, that's cool. And the Cropper classic is is a wonderful piece because he came in and, and did it exactly the way that he wanted that guitar. And honestly, mm-hmm. he's been playing it ever since. And uh, it was really nice. So when he and I, he had hired me to build the studio for him, um, and PB said, well, we'll give you a console. <laughs> that's kind of what started oh. the whole thing. And All the right. first console. And that's that's kind of where I learned how to engineer, you know, mainly a piano player and arranger. And so it was really nice to for them uh, to give us that console. 
uh, and we had it for several years. And then we wound up buying a Trident. And all of a sudden, I remember a guy that does all the wiring. We plugged in the two mix and he turned that on and he looked back at me and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, that's what that sounds like. And that yeah. was my favorite experience there. But it was God bless PV for giving me the opportunity. I love that I learned on that console. Right. And mm -hmm. then I got to really learn how to manipulate just limited situations, but a wonderful product. But then all of a sudden graduated to some great sounding stuff. But with Cropper, totally. we've got uh, certain guitars that just um, you like to keep here that, that we keep here that fill a lot of different lanes that we can. Yeah. You know, did you see the um, did you see the Cropper? Um, it says Cropper Classic on the on the headstock. On the headstock. headstock. Yeah. Yeah. Did you yeah. see that? I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a great looking guitar too. What are the, what are the beautiful. pickups in that thing? Oh, what are Now the see, I love that they're going to ask me guitar questions because that's what I hire <laughs> you crazy guys for. All I know is let's tune that damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> that is Well, for the, for the audio listeners, it looks like I'll do my tell best us, analysis here because I don't know, but it looks like we've got a, uh, a humbucker in the neck because mm -hmm. of this. It's got a yeah, dual rail situation right. there. Mm -hmm. But then there's a then the, the same thing is stacked in the bridge. Right. I've never seen it before, which is why I asked the question. Because oh, yeah. yeah, that's kind I'm of one have of his do some little things that he does. You know, this was built like this is built how he likes it, right? Yeah. To his specs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy cool. One Pretty of my cool. favorite wow. things about Cropper is that he doesn't have a pedal board. He says, he hands you oh, his yeah, quarter right. inch and says, that is my pedal board. <laughs> <laughs> he gets everything Classic. here and it's really amazing. It's just so neat. He's such uh, an emotional player with his hands, you know, mm -hmm. just unreal. He can, that's his pedal board. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, it's something kind of unique and neat. Yeah, uh, tell him about your PRS. Oh yeah, I had this given to me years ago and I was like, are you oh, really? Oh wow. And yeah, look at that. A great example. We were just recording Co Wenzel. You know, Wenzel, mm -hmm. a brand new friend, came in from Studio A and with his band. And what was wound up happening is for his type of music, they used every single guitar <laughs> we had in here. <laughs> like this was the heavy duty rock going on. Then we wound up doing some slide stuff. Oh, yeah. On, the, on this guitar resonating. right here. You know, oh yeah, got a resonator. That's yeah. beautiful. That's is that a national resonator? Yeah, that yeah. thing is insane. Yeah, and it oh. sounds so good. Sometimes I'll mic it with a, you know, big large diaphragm here and blend mm -hmm. it with the signal from the amp. It's kind of a cool yep. little thing, right? I and love it's that trick. So old school, uh, but mm -hmm. that national is so nice. And so as they see, as soon as they saw we had that, they're like, wait a minute. Next thing you know, here comes the slides out. We're going crazy <laughs> on it. This yeah. thing laid down some real heavy stuff. And of course, then you've got the tellies that are just such like bass. You know, it's like fundamental, foundational. It. And it was mm -hmm. really kind of fun. I was like, Steve wasn't here that day, but I was I was telling him, I said, Cropper, you have been so proud. <laughs> All these guitars <laughs> are on this record, you know. And that was kind of fun. That was pretty deep. That, that's super cool. But well, now that you're both in here, here's a here's a little bit of a, a sidebar question. So, mm -hmm. the um, you know, you were talking about 
you you guys have done a lot of work for TV and film and commercials and mm-hmm. stuff. And I've talked to a few people recently that have been into that. And it's something that's really fascinating to me because the first thing that I heard back when I did my solo album here a couple of years ago was like, man, this sounds like it should be in horror movies. And I was like, yeah, it kind of does, I guess. But I don't know anything about that world. So do you guys get people coming to you with ideas and requests? Are you putting stuff out in sync libraries? Like if people are into that world or want to get into that world, how do you guys, how do you guys approach that? Hmm. Good question. Well, a lot of the contacts we had, um, I guess was when I lived in LA, um, Mm -hmm. that was the, there's a lot of that film scene, obviously. Um, so I had made some connections, uh, living in Los Angeles that I kind of kept in contact with and they actually were calling us um, when we started working together still um, asking for, you know, do you have a song like this? Do you have a song like that? Um, And then when I lived in France also um, I signed a publishing deal with universal France Mm -hmm. and I was really just doing library music. Like they would get me to write an album like this or, you know, write a shortcut for you and what I learned is you're an artist and there's something that these folks in these big library companies, and they're just trying to, they do a phenomenal job of this kind of formulated music that they push out. But when they need Mm -hmm. something special, at the end of the day, they're still just fans of music and they hear an artist and it by definition, that's just unique. Right. And they go Mm -hmm. this, like Justina can just, this is what she can do for us. And that, some of that stuff you did for Killer Tracks and the Nashville, Tennessee album and mm-hmm. things like that were specific. And so it's nice to pitch yourself as an artist and they they could want a piece of that somehow. That's some of it. Mm. Some that's what I've kind of learned. How can you compete with kind of those big, beautiful factories that could just dump that out, you know? But right. I think it's with that artist side, something that's truly unique. And so that's that's fun that we've been able to write specifically four things instead of them having to go through a whole bunch of like notes or, you know, uh, encyclopedias worth of music. They're just, they ask us specifically for this. And that's where the, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's true. Actually, a good point is that a lot of the companies are actually acting as labels. Now, a lot of the sync companies, so they'll want to actually, cause they want to own a piece of the whole pie. Right. So they want Mm -hmm. to, you know, own the master and they want to own a part of the publishing and, Um, so there are companies like that more and more that you can pitch yourself to, and they're always looking, you know, to fill those libraries. Instead of just a singular lane, they've got other places Mm -hmm. to move that music, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Oh, speaking of custom, we should tell them about the, I almost forgot about this, Blake. We did the theme song for, um, the Tualatin Wine Valley. Oh, Oh, Whoa. that was cool. I almost forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's cool. I didn't Tualatin. know they had a theme song. I've learned All how right. to pronounce those words. Oh, well, when Tualatin. I say theme song, yeah. when I say theme song, I meant just for the promotional video. They had a uh-huh. um, promotional video for the, you know, tourism. Mm-hmm. And, oh, like the tourism board or something? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we did the, yeah, we wrote a, uh, the theme song for that. Yeah. And we had. Well, that's cool. It was pretty cool. That's very cool. Yes. That was something really We do have some good too. wine around here. Oh, yeah. Oh, you do we have some good that wine. That Pinot Noir is right there. Mm-hmm. We got to benefit from that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> yes, the perks. That, yeah. That was pretty cool, actually. There's an example of something that they wanted to put. I remember it was for all the flights. Do you remember the first ones coming from Hawaii 
to Washington or whatever. And that's where they mm-hmm. can play and advertise the, the valleys, Tualatin Willamette Valleys and the Pinots. And they had us write something specific for that. And that was, you know, that's fun to do. You see the pictures, you get the story and you just mm-hmm. start writing for that, you know? Yeah, that was another example. Our friend was the photographer and just said, hey, I have, you know, I know Eddie and Justina and they, you know, they are composers and writers and he had um, recommended us. So a lot of times you can get cool referrals like that for your music. Mm -hmm. As long as people know that your music's out there, they know too. They can recommend you. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Well, we are approaching the end of the podcast, and I got a couple classic questions that I like to wrap this up on. But before I do, I like to give the guests a chance to take the floor, you know, plug anything you want to plug, shout out your grandma, anything you want to do right now. Like this, the floor is yours to kind of say whatever you want to a bunch of people. Oh, cool. Well, um, I think with I'd like to talk to everyone about my i guess where to see where to find my music justina kelly um it's a polish name so it has a y it's j-u-s-t-y-n-a kelly k-e-l-l-e-y and i have a new album out called canon that uh eddie and i actually wrote most of the songs together we produced the whole thing here at rca studios in nashville tennessee cool Um, yeah and it's out on a french label uh called ekp in paris uh, and the single is called Seeing Stars. Um, and I'll be doing a lot more uh, promotional stuff for the single coming up. And yeah, please go check out the music and uh, give me like, a follow. Like, like. Yeah, like it. Um, <laughs> find me on Instagram, follow me. And can't wait to see everyone over there. Cool. And the links for all that stuff will be in the show notes, people. So it's nice and easy to find. Just go down in the description of this on YouTube or in the show notes of your podcast player. It'll be right there. It'll be easy to find. So there you go. All right. Final questions. And then we got both of you here. And you, you might, you're both going to have different opinions, I, I imagine. But the first question is, what is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, oh the ones that we down, down right here? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We got one right here that we like. Yeah, we got the blues driver that we turned up to 10 the other day. Or to you know, 11. Or 11. That's right. We turned it to 11. <laughs> and that's this one goes all to over the record. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that thing killed. I was like, oh my gosh. And then guess what we did? We threw a bass guitar through it into our Victoria amp, right? Which is like, oh. a, which is like a tweed uh, amp. And that thing sounded amazing so that was That's kind cool. of fun i've never used a blues driver on bass now i have something else to try later. Oh. yes we did nice. <laughs> and it's on a like it's got to be a big record too i don't yeah. know for cool. a well, i guess maybe not okay it was for a movie <laughs> the, the song the song was for a movie but i would say for a movie oh. yes coming out soon We'll tell you, we'll tell you more later. Um, but my favorite pedal is definitely, it's the pedal tuner and I have three of them. So that's the most popular answer. Everybody loves the boss tuners. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's cause everybody's used one at some point and they're great. It's they're standard. indestructible. They, they do the thing. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love boss pedals. So it, that's become a, a standard question for, for a long time now. And the people at boss like that, cause yeah, they're cool people. Heck yeah. <clears throat> All right, final question. 
What is your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, cheese. I'm boring. I'm, I like cheese pizza. Oh, wait. Ba- I like cheese pizza, too. Actually, that's not true. I'm going to change and say bacon cheeseburger pizza <laughs> from Sir Pizza. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Sir wait, Pizza. What I've told you about that, I think. That's right. What's yours? Where's that at? Marguerite. I love a marguerite. And oh. then I love to go oh, yeah. crazy and throw some real sausage or pepperoni on there. <laughs> Meat lovers. So Sir Pizza is in Nashville. And okay. it's, is it just in Nashville? I don't know. I think it's in Nashville. There's a bunch of um, locations. And mm-hmm. I used to work there in high school. And they would let us eat whatever was on the buffet at the end of the day. And that's how nice. I discovered bacon cheeseburger pizza. Because <laughs> I never would have ordered it yeah. otherwise. <clears throat> Nashville's got a couple of really good pizza spots that I love. Uh, oh, yeah. One is... Uh, uh, well, it's not just a pizza spot. It's an Italian place in, in general. But Napoli uh, is somewhere I always hit. Their lasagna is insane. Wait, Bella Napoli. Um, yeah, Bella Napoli. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, Cropper's favorite place. restaurant. Yeah, that is. That's Steve Cropper's favorite. Is it really? Yeah, I go there every, uh, every time. Yeah. yeah, I love that place. Well, you, yeah. well when oh, you yeah. get back, let's go. Mm-hmm. Well, there's okay. Sounds too, good. which is the wood fire. If you know DeSano's, that's insane. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. I've seen that one pop up on the list, so go. it's definitely well, one I got to hit. Once we get finished, uh, Bill and Napoli, we'll go to DeSanos. Yeah, right. We're going <laughs> to go get a pizza after this. Now we're, <laughs> we're craving pizza now. Uh, Smith and Lentz Brewing, have you been mm-hmm. there? They've got great pizza. Oh. It's kind of a newer thing. I think it popped up. They started, if I remember the story right, it's a newer brewery. Lockdown happened, so they started doing takeaway pizza. Mm-hmm. And their pizza was such a hit that it's like they've almost become as known for that as their beer. So that's a that's a good one if you've never been like And then Five Points is classic. Town. Yeah. That's cool. yeah. We don't know how like, some of these what? places. Like, wait. That's cool. We need your Nashville <laughs> list now. Oh, I got a, I got a list. Oh, <laughs> send the list, please. <laughs> Will do. Well, hey, guys. Thank you for uh, hanging out. I really enjoyed this conversation. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And uh, we'll... Maybe we'll take a pause here and see what kind of shenanigans we can get into on Patreon. Does that work for you? Sounds great. All right. Thank you, Blake. All right, everybody. Yeah, of course. Of course. Do my little outro here and we'll we'll get on our way. Uh, For Justina and Eddie, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, folks, there you go. There's another episode in the can. Thank you, as always. I appreciate it so, so so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking your time out of your busy day to hang out with me for this long. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. A couple little things. A, if you would like more of this conversation, just simply go over to patreon.com slash tone mob, where for five bucks a month, you can not only get access to the ad free feeds for this podcast, but you can get extra bonus episodes, including this one with Justina and Eddie and I'm telling you, there is a hilarious story, an absolutely hilarious story, just sitting there waiting for you over on Patreon, as well as the ad-free feed for this very podcast. Thank you so much for everything, folks. Make sure you check out Justina's music, and I've got links to all of their stuff down in the show notes of this podcast. And one more quick thing, I am posting all of this over on YouTube now, so YouTube finally allowed RSS feeds. RSS feeds, if you don't know, are the way that 
podcasts get published to all the podcast players. So you can go there. If YouTube is your preferred platform, which I'm guessing you're listening this deep on this episode, probably doesn't matter a whole lot to you, but on the off chance it does, you can go over to YouTube and there are two feeds. There is the Tone Mob podcast video feed and Tone Mob like regular podcast feed. You can kind of tell the difference. If you just want to listen on YouTube because that's the normal platform you absorb things on, the podcast will be there every Monday as it is on every single other platform because YouTube finally accepted RSS feeds. So thank you, YouTube overlords, for accepting, you know, 1990-whatever technology. But that's not the point. The point is the podcast is fully available over on YouTube if that's where you like to listen. And the video versions are going up as quickly as I can possibly do them. I've got some help with that now, and it's becoming much more consistent. So anyway, all that to say, wow, I'm tired, and I can't believe I've rambled this long. I am going to say good night to you. Thank you for everything. And uh, as always, folks, I'll talk to you on the internet very very soon. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to tonemob.com stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple, and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gunstreet harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunstreetWiringShop.com and check them out. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. This 
is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.